podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. I want to apologize um, for the way I went about things yesterday. I'm someone who, who prides themselves on the way I lead this team. And yesterday was, was a poor reflection um, of that. Um, my leadership wasn't good enough. I let the pressure of the game, I suppose, get to me. It, it sort of affected my mood and then from there um, affected my performance. So I think yesterday when I came off the ground, my reflection was purely on, on my wicket keeping, sort of sitting back last night and reflecting on the whole game. You know, I think I had a, I said to, to our players yesterday, I think I've had a really poor game as a leader. Um, and yesterday I fell short of, of my expectations um, and our team standards. So I'm, I'm human. I want to apologise for, for the mistakes that I made yesterday. Um, certainly, as I said, not a, not a reflection of the way I want to lead this team. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Menas, and that was Tim Payne speaking today, which is Tuesday morning. He held an impromptu press conference to apologise for his behaviour on the final day of the SCG test. Joining me on this episode to go through so much cricket news is uh, Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Hey, Menas. Hey, Jaleesa. Look, I'm, um, I'm okay. It was a, a wonderful test match on the field. But every time there's major off-field controversy and there's plenty of it in this match, after a while it leaves me feeling like I'm just wish it was a I wish it wasn't happening. And it makes me feel uneasy and lost a little bit of interest in the cricket for a day or two, which is crazy given how good the test match was. Uh, I'm sure by the time that the fourth test rolls around, I'll be back into it though. I'm the opposite, Paul. I like to play in the mud, so I love all this controversy and, and scandal. It's, it's I'm in my element. And and joining us again after a break is Jaleesa Apps from Channel 9. Jaleesa, do you like to play in the mud? I get enough mud in NRL. I don't <laughs> want any more mud. We had this discussion in the group chat. Paul and I seem to be on the same page. I was a little bit sick of the noise just surrounding the test match with multiple things with the – with India, first of all, not happy about quarantine and then the racism the situation that happened at the SCG and then uh, the sledging that's happened. I just am sick of the noise. I just thought it took away from the cricket and I was a little bit off it. But I'm going to get back on it. I'm going to get back on it for the Gabba. Good, good, good. Now, let, let me ask you straight off, Jaleesa. You you were on the Tim Payne press conference this morning. What did you think of his behaviour on the final day of the test? And, uh, yeah, do you agree that he let himself down? Yeah, I do. And I think that he really let the team down because I think that what – perhaps I'm not as angry about the sledging, although I didn't think it was a particularly good look. I thought it was more – had such an effect on their game. It was more the whole demeanour of Tim Payne seemed to affect the whole team. And then you had Wade, like, throwing balls at batsmen. And, and I just – I felt as though Tim Payne didn't do a good job as a captain being a leader in what was still a winnable test match 
until the last moment, you should be looking to win. And I felt like they'd started to get frustrated and give up and were chucking a bit of a tantrum. And it really annoyed me. It really annoyed me watching just just Lyon not being able to bowl because Tim Payne was carrying on. Like, yeah, it was super late in the day, but just, you know, it's not over till it's over. Like, it, it, I just thought it was poor form and it really irritated me. As far as Payne's behaviour was concerned, I agree. I think it was disappointing. His sledging of Ashwin was dumb and um, I, I don't like any sledging. Uh, I, I'm a bit of an old-fashioned person in that regard. I don't think it was the worst I've ever heard. And I'm really pleased that he apologised. I think that he has been a good captain in terms of the Australians having much more grace than they used to have prior to the Sandpaper Gate. And I think that it was good that he came out with what sounded like a pretty earnest and honest um, apology. And I'm willing to let him off in terms of say, okay, it was one really bad day, but I don't think that jeopardises all the other good things that he's done. But it is remarkable how quickly things change. After his 70-odd in the first test, I was sort of saying he could be Australian captain for half a decade. Now, all of a sudden, there's uh, talk that the Gabba test could be his last. I hope that's not the case. I hope he goes on a bit longer. It was interesting this morning hearing him say that he felt like it was he was off in general, just the whole test match. He said that he, he there was a moment in the press conference this morning where he was talking about he felt like he put tension into the dressing room. And I thought that was pretty honest of him to come and say, and it certainly came across that way. It felt like he put everyone else on edge when they were still ahead in the game and where I think he was frustrated. I, it looked like to me he got frustrated when he dropped those catches and he just lost his head a bit, which you can't do as a captain. I did think the press conference was a little bit interesting in terms of he did a press conference last night and this had a very different tone to last night. Last night he definitely brushed it off as um, banter and that's just what happens on the field. And then today he was very apologetic and, I don't know if that's just overnight having a bit of a think about it or I can't imagine JL being too happy about what happened. So um, I guess time has maybe clarified his thoughts a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think he went away and had to think about his behaviour and when he sort of relaxed and, and was sort of out of the heat of the battle, he, he looked on his actions in a different light and with some regret. And I am not surprised with that. I, I thought he's apology was good because he he did not put one excuse in he didn't blame the stump mics he didn't blame the situation of the game he didn't blame his teammates he took complete responsibility and I think that's what a leader needs to do uh, it does bring up a couple of points uh, when Tim Payne was given the captaincy a, a lot of former wicketkeepers said it is very hard to be a test captain and a wicketkeeper and I think we saw that in this test match him dropping three catches and having a few brain fades behind the stumps um, I think you know, it does say that it is difficult to be a test skipper and wicket keeper long term. It also points to the feeling that they seem to still have that they've got to not take a backward step. Even in the Channel 7 promos for the series, Payne is sort of promising we won't take, you know, we, we won't take a backward step or words to that effect. They still need to get away from that. And the, the notion that if Australia aren't verbally aggressive and aggressive in every way on the field, that they're not playing at their best. I just think that's nonsense. I think that. Um, nothing you're going to say to someone like Ashwin, a proud, determined, quality cricketer, is going to destroy his concentration. If anything, it's going to make him even more determined, if that's possible. We saw the same thing in South Africa where they sledged De Villiers and that got him going and, and playing better. I think that the whole 
notion that Australia has to have this mongrel in order to play at its best is a flawed notion and they should put it to bed and just, you know, if Payne had been focusing totally on the ball and not worrying about what he was going to say next, um, maybe he wouldn't have dropped the three catches. Yeah, and to be fair, Payne did say in the press conference that he feels he went away from his mandate of playing on skill, not on emotion. So I think he, he knows that too, Paul. Um, definitely. I do think Payne's go-to sledge now is the schoolboy thing of you don't have many friends. Uh, he used it on Coley. Well, now he's so used lame. it on Ashwin. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's harmless stuff. The, the other thing that came out on the final day was Steve Smith was seen sort of scuffing the batting crease. And this to me is just an absolute storm in a teacup. All of you morons that think Steve Smith was trying to cheat, you got rocks in your head. Do you think a test batsman like Pant is going to come back from a drinks break and get out because his guard's been scuffed up? I mean, that's just ludicrous thoughts. No, I agree with you. I don't think Steve Smith has it in him to to do that and I think he's smarter than that but it um it was just a little bit like you can't do it <laughs> like you like so don't and I think Tim Payne gave an explanation so, this why, morning why can't which, you do it why can't you do it apparently that's what Smith does when he's playing all the time for New South Wales you can't State. when a batting when when you're not batting and you can't walk onto the pitch and start manipulating any he was part just of it. Shadow batting, and then he was just um, remarking his guard as if he was a left-hander trying to save the match. I don't but understand. the thing is, you can't do it. Like, and and I agree. Like, I was on board with Tim Payne's explanation today that he literally was just shadow batting. I really believe that that he walked on was kind of in his Steve Smith world where he'll shadow bat in the supermarket in his hotel room anywhere he can be and he was just shadow batting. I fully believe that, but you just got to be a little bit smarter when the eyes of the world are on you and they're ready to criticize you for everything that yeah, I just didn't think it was a great it it wasn't great to give everyone a bit of power to say, oh, look it's at Steve Smith. It's just rubbish, rubbish with a capital R. No, but it's going to happen, Menace. That's what that's what happens in Australia India series. And that that because the passion is so huge and because there are tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people in India and the rest of the world watching, and because Australia has form of in the past not always um, playing the game with the uh, in the nicest possible way, any excuse for any controversy immediately generates a flare-up. And I agree. I don't think he meant anything by it. I think it was an innocent thing to do. Um, but I, I also agree with Jaleesa. He shouldn't have done it. You've kind of got to be on your guard for those sorts of things, so pardon the pun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I, I I agree that he meant nothing by it. I don't think he meant to cheat, no. All right. Well, we've spent a lot of time talking about behaviour, but let's let's get into the cricket headlines because in this episode, we're going to wrap up the SCG test. We're going to look ahead to the Gabba test. Then after the break, we're going to have a chat about the big bash and bring it on home with can't let it go. So Jaleesa, start thinking. Got about an half an hour. Oh, I've got plenty of manners. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right, let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. I guess we'll start at the beginning of the SCG test match. I went there to the first two days and, um, you know, obviously uh, capacity was severely restricted to about 10,000 people. Everyone had to wear a mask when they were sitting down. Um, and, and it did have a different atmosphere to it. I felt that 
the whole test match felt like a fifth day and not the performance, but the atmosphere that uh, it just had that atmosphere of a fourth or fifth day going right throughout the test match. But it was, I thought the SCG did a great job hosting the game and it did feel very safe when you were there. Australia dropped Travis head for this match and obviously Joe Burns, who wasn't in the squad and Pekofsky and Warner opened with Wade moving to the middle order. I guess, uh, firstly, Paul, were you happy with that team? I think so, yeah. I think that um, it made sense to do that. I I am disappointed for Travis Head because I would have liked him to get a further opportunity than he he did. Sometimes it happens. You get squeezed out. I I think that all things being equal, I would want him to have another two or three opportunities rather than have been cut then. But given the makeup of the side, I I think that was the right thing to do. And obviously, Pekofsky... delivered to an extent on his promise and it was very exciting to, to see him get that 60. Jaleesa, did you like the team? Loved it. It was exactly what I wanted. I really wanted Pukowski to get a chance this uh, test match because I just thought, if not now, when are you going to do it? Um, and I just, yeah, I thought it was great. I was not for picking Joe Burns in the beginning. I um, Just going back a few tests now, but I was not for picking... Joe Burns and I wonder if Pukowski had not had that head knock would he would Joe Burns maybe have missed out I don't know we had so many injuries and so many sh- much shuffling I don't know if that would have happened but I was really happy to see Pukowski and I think he proved that, that he's that's where he belongs and yeah Travis Head unfortunately everyone's someone's got to miss out so I was happy with it uh, the only thing is Warner was obviously not fit clearly from that first yeah. from the first bit when he tried to run you were like whoa he cannot run but lack of a better option I didn't hate that they picked him yeah Warner made five in his return and he, you're right he didn't look fit enough and I think there are doubts whether he'll make it um, to the Gabba test so Australia made 338 in their first innings Pekofsky made 62 off 110 deliveries he was dropped twice but he looked good uh, he played some nice shots um, on the onside. He looks quite a compact batter. And he said afterwards, and I found this interesting, he said it was his favourite day of cricket ever and that the crowd lifted him. And, and then it was pointed out that he's one of the very few players to make their test debut for Australia uh, that haven't played a big bash game uh, since the big bash started. So, you know, he's never really played in front of big crowds before, but he looked right at home. Marnus made 91 off 196 deliveries. And then Steve Smith, uh, another phenomenal innings. He made 131 off 226 deliveries. His 27th test century and his first test century on Australian soil since the Sandpaper Gate scandal. He's now equal with Alan Border on 27 test duns in less than half the tests it took AB. And Paul, you'd know this when I was looking at AB stats as a kid you'd look at 27 test stuns and be just you you draw a drop but Smith's just done it easy he has although Border did get a a hell of a lot of 50s and that that's why their overall averages aren't quite so different that Border's average in the low 50s at the moment Steve Smith's average in the low 60s let's see where it finishes up Um, you know both of us I think agreed that Alan Border is an absolute champion and I know you weren't criticizing him there but I just want to state my love for Alan Border at all times all how border now uh maddie wade oh, by the way wade. one last this, this point there that smith has now of, of the australia's last 12 test centuries against india the rest of australia has scored four and steve smith has scored eight <laughs> glenn maxwell 
he should be back. Now, I had a really, really upsetting afternoon on the second day at the SCG. The little oh, nice. general, my hero, Matty Wade, he comes out to bat and he just looked a million dollars. He was smashing the ball everywhere. I was thinking, I'm going to get my New Year's wish of a Wade test ton right now. And then he just played an awful shot against Jadeja, came down the track and tried to loft him over the onside and hit it straight up. And he was caught for 13 and, and it was just before the new ball. So it exposed Green, who was out for a duck. And uh, yeah, it, it did um, expose the lower order. So yeah, that was a shocker from Wade. And um, yeah, I think he needs a score in the next test. Just doesn't have the patience. Just plays shots where you're like, why? Why did you do it? It's strange. It reminds me of, of um, Watson towards the end of his career, where Watson looked a million dollars in every form of cricket. And I kept on waiting for him to take that dominance to the test level. And uh, he never quite delivered. Wade has been the same. The last couple of years, he's been in the form of his career. And yeah, he got two centuries in the Ashes and he's played some other decent innings. But he looks that he's good enough to be dominating test cricket and was the second puzzling shot that he's played in the last couple of tests. So, yeah, the pressure on him now at the Gabba. So Australia make 338. I thought that was actually slightly under par. I thought they probably would have been aiming for 400 plus. But then India, in reply, were all out for 244. The best of the bowlers, Pat Cummins, four for 29. And the second best bowler was runouts. Runouts took three wickets, including Hazelwood, who... who you uh, pulled off an absolute ripper to run out Vahari with a direct hit. And uh, yeah, really strong performance in the field from Australia, unlike what we saw in the second innings. I'll tell you what, if India ever get their athleticism and fielding to the standard of Australia, we'd better watch out because it's, it's one of the few things that we've really got over them at the moment. I mean, Hazelwood's run out was something that probably only Jadeja or Coley maybe could have performed for India. Hazelwood's arguably our worst, least mobile fielder. That was one of the best runouts I've ever seen. A few minutes later, Cummins affects a good, a good runout, another fast bowler. And all the instances of, of, of them not diving, them not running as hard as they should, it filters through their whole cricket. So often you see them hit one down sort of wide of fine leg and they run one and, and that's all they get. And the Australians get two. And although the Australians weren't perfect in the field, they're still better than India. But if India ever get their fielding sorted, then, geez, um, they're going to be on a, a very impressive side. I'd be filthy with those runouts if I was India. I don't know how you get run out in test cricket. It always baffles me. Not only did he not dive, it looked like he was slowing down. It looked like he was thinking that there was a precipice three metres beyond the pitch, that he was doing everything he could not to run an extra step that he needed. I sent out a tweet a couple of days later when um, 37-year-old Dan Christian the other night in the Big Bash was horizontal to the ground, absolutely amazing dive. Now, I can't criticise Ashwin because I have the tightest hamstrings on earth. And, you know, I'm incredibly immobile. And so I kind of, in some ways, I have a kindred spirit in looking the way that he goes. But um, you'd think that they really should get some of their players a little bit more athletic. So Australia took a lead of 94 into the second innings. And uh, India were without Rishabh Pant, who could not uh, wiki-keep. So Saha did that. And Ravi Jadeja, well... He had an injury and could not bowl or field in the second innings. He's ruled out for the Gabba. Yeah, was it a broken thumb, was it? Yeah. Such a pity. He's such an exciting player to watch. India have um, had such a bad luck with injuries. 
Warner made 13, Pekofsky 10, Labashane his 73, his second half century of the game. Smith made 81 and looked set for two centuries in the match, but uh, was, well, was given out LBW. He looked disappointed, but it was pretty close. And then Cameron Green, well, it was, it, was, it was a match where we saw two youngsters put in great performances. Pekofsky in the first innings and then Green 84 in the second innings with four huge sixes. And uh, we, we really saw Green uh, show what he could do at, at test, test level. So India was set 407 runs to win. But, I mean, Green was phenomenal on that fourth afternoon. Tremendous, exciting and just the size of some of those hits, they weren't going 70 metres. They were knocking on the door of 100 metres plus those sixes. They just looked epic. And um, just to, to bore you guys with a bit of history, the, the first ever Australia-India test match, Keith Miller, uh, who was regarded as a great Australia's greatest ever all-rounder, played an innings almost the same as that, where he um, very, very slow, and then right at the end, cracked about four sixes. Um, Green's the sort of guy that we're comparing to Keith Miller, which is a big... Uh, a big reputation to live up to, but it was it was tremendously exciting. Deserves 100. At the drinks break, when Tim Payne was interviewed and gave his uh, sort of very honest and open feedback as to what he thought about the declaration, you couldn't have had someone more at the top of their game. Here he was cruising to what was ultimately 39 not out of 52 balls, um, refreshingly, honestly, eloquently talking about his batting and the declaration on the field to the, the commentators ahead of what seemed like a certain Australian win, um, for it to have all unraveled so much in the next day or so is quite extraordinary. It's, a, it's probably a point now just to touch on some unsavoury incidents that happened in the crowd, reports on the third and fourth afternoons from the SCG that some Indian players were abused and some perhaps were um, hit with some racial comments, racist comments that were we're still waiting for the results of those investigations, but it was a terrible look for Australian cricket fans, a terrible look for Australia and, and certainly not the sort of uh, treatment we want to extend to our guests. Absolutely not. The investigations are ongoing as we record. I'm confident that the investigations will be thorough. The point was made that there's been rarely a, a crowd as well tracked as this, given that everyone had to be COVID safe and supply mobile phones and everything else. So if there's any evidence of racism, then I think everyone would want the people involved to get life bans. Um, it's just utterly disgusting and reprehensible. Secondary level, if there, if it was more at sort of just that level of abuse or bad, um, you know, having a go at the opposition players, that's something that probably needs to prompt a conversation uh, in Australia. That, that it's traditionally been that you, at the cricket you sort of um, see these drunken guys really have a go at some of the opposition players and it's been regarded as as part of what's been being done. Maybe it's time to relook at that. Maybe it's time, not that Yabba, the um, famous barracker of the 30s, who's got a statue at the ground, not that he was regarded for making boorish remarks. He was regarded as making aggressive but good, good-natured and um, witty remarks towards the English, but... Maybe we shouldn't have a statue of someone like that there if um, if it's something that we don't want to encourage, which which we shouldn't. We shouldn't be allowing anyone to, to feel awful if they're an overseas player. And obviously racism is beyond the pale, but it doesn't have to be racist for it to be unacceptable. Yeah, it's interesting, Paul. When I used to dish it out to Kevin Peterson when he was here, I was always very sober, but I was a bit more like, yeah, but tried to have a bit of fun with it. But you're right. Certainly needs to be something that I think crowds need to look at 
And um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see what comes of those investigations to unsavory incidents. And, and then we I think we can all agree that if there is any, if there was any racism there, it's completely unacceptable. And it, you should be banned for life if you're right. Ra- if you're going to any sport and you're <laughs> like, there are different races in every sport. If you're going to any sport and you're being racist, why are you even enjoying that sport? No, because be banned from the country, let alone exa- sports. I just don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand why why you would watch sport if you. Yeah, it takes you know all different countries to participate in sport. Why you? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It just. I. I think we can all agree that if there was any racism, you know, they should. Any whoever did it should be banned. But what we should be talking about is the phenomenal performance by India to save the test match on the fifth day. I gave them very little chance of doing it. And for them to be only five wickets down at stumps on the fifth day, not that far from the, the, the victory target, it was a phenomenal achievement for a team that has been in bubbles, had injuries, their, their captains had to go home. I mean, this is one of the performances that I will never forget from India because uh, last time when they were here, Smith and Warner weren't in the squad. So they had, um, you know, Australia had a few excuses this time. India have all the excuses and yet they are outperforming Australia. So tremendous day for Indian cricket. One of the great performances by an away team in Australia ever. You look at the fact that Australia won the toss that India had Jadeja injured. That was absolutely crucial Hunt was injured, which I think probably contributed to his first inning dismissal. Then Bahari did his hamstring. Smith and Labashain um, returned to form. India had, you know, ran themselves out. They dropped catches more so than Australia. They were battered and bruised by, I mean, Australia's fast bowling attack. We've talked about it before, but you see the three of them lined up. They are amazing. They're six foot five and above. They look like the most terrifying group of people. For all that to happen and for India to then have to um, bat for such an incredible amount of time, and had Vahari not pulled his hamstring, they may well have actually won the Test match. Uh, I, I just think that it is... I haven't sat down and gone through every Test match ever played in Australia, but it must be one of the greatest performances ever by an away team in Australia. I have to agree um, that the, as India have shown just incredible resilience all series with all the injuries that they've had and... Uh, coming out here and everything that they've had to overcome, they've kept their eye on the prize. And I think that's what the sledging, you could see the difference in the two sides was that we lost our call. They were very calm and controlled and the mental game is what won, what, what uh, got them the result they wanted in the end. The only thing that sours the victory, uh, the draw a little bit for me and the result that they wanted to get was, I don't think, like I can't understand how Pant couldn't, wiki keep but he could bat like that and I think that everyone is a it's a uh, it's a little bit um a bit of a raised eyebrows thing I think because he was batting fine by the looks of it it, it felt like they played with 12 it felt like they had a wiki keeper and then a batsman no I'm fine with that I I, I think that um it, it seemed to me fairly clear that he was really badly hurt on that day had to go off for scans it seemed appropriate that he um didn't keep then and you know what it doesn't bother me anyway i, I think it should be part of the game that that, that that is perfectly acceptable i think that it was courageous that he batted and as an australian fan i you know i, I got no complaints about it at all what do you think Menace? i had no problem with it maybe pant 
um, got a little bit fitter overnight and felt a bit better on that fifth day. But I think, you know, we just have to accept that teams will bend the rules and they will, you know, use the rules to their full extent. And we've seen it a couple of times this summer already with Jadeja in the one day game going off with concussion. Um, and we're seeing it again here. We've seen other teams in the past. Uh, Australia just needs to accept it. That's, and it's not an egregious form of cheating. But, yeah, it's, I see where you're coming from, Jaleesa, but I didn't have a big problem with it either. But I don't think there's any proof that they did break the rules either. That, um... They didn't break a rule. They didn't break a rule. I don't think anyone's saying that they're breaking, they broke a rule. They, they didn't break any rules. I think it just it, – it sours it a little bit for me because – and maybe the rule needs to be re-looked at because just particularly if it was a wiki-keeper that was performing really well, but he wasn't. He was underperforming severely and then – was subbed out and then was able to perform like that with the bat, but wasn't, was too injured. I, yeah, I don't know, especially where the injury is. You think if it's going to affect your wiki keeping, it's going to affect your bowling. It's not like he had a injury where he couldn't squat properly in wiki Yeah, but it's different. If you're a wiki keeper, you're going to take 300 balls a day behind the stumps, whereas he, you know, he faced a hundred odd balls in his innings. So. Um, yeah. Well, I, obviously they didn't break the rules, but I'm also saying that while you could argue that they pushed the letter of the law you could also argue i think that they didn't that he um wasn't really fit to keep initially uh and then he came out to bat because of the the circumstances of the game and yeah i I think that to argue that he would have dropped the catch that ritterman saha took uh doesn't necessarily follow because saha has dropped catches before all keepers drop catches i'm not sure that uh, um there's there's a belief that saha is a better uh, Gloveman than, than Punt. Uh, I, I don't have any stats that would back that up either way. Now, I thought also on the fifth day, actually, before, how are you on the radio, Paul? I just got a tweet that says you're on Sport FM right now. Yeah, every time you guys stop talking, I quickly switch and start doing the interview. It's um, it's a phenomenal effort from me. <laughs> I'm actually doing I'm actually doing a live cross. <laughs> we pre-recorded it. They said that um, you were unavailable and they'd, they'd, they'd contact me. And so I said, sure, I can I can't believe they didn't call me. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I thought on the fifth day, uh, Nathan Lyon had a frustrating day. I think, you know, fifth day at the SCG, that's when you want your spinner to bowl a side to victory. I don't think he bowled badly, but I do feel like the Indian batters have, have worked out Lyon. And, and this series has taken six wickets at an average of almost 60. I feel like the Indian batters have got on top of him. And, you know, going to the Gabba test, I know they won't do it, but, you know, if it was anyone else, you would consider bringing in someone like Mitch Swepson to replace Lyon. Hang on. He had a few teammates dropping some catches. He had a few teammates helping him out, making him look a bit how you're going. Like Payne takes that catch. Abbott takes the other catch. We could have won. <laughs> we could have won. Like, he could have then rolled the tail. Like, I, I don't I disagree. I don't think Lyon was that bad. No, no, I don't think he bowled badly. But I think India know how to play him now. They've played him in many, many series. They play a lot of spin bowling back in, at home. And I just feel that uh, they've worked him out. And, and I'm, I'm really curious what he's going to do at the Gabba because, you know, six wickets at almost 60 – that's not a good series for Nathan. He could have had eight. 
well, okay, but you know, you didn't hear Shane Warne giving those excuses when he was bowling Australia to victory. I mean, in the end, he didn't create enough chances and he didn't bowl Australia to victory. I disagree. I think the ch- he did create chances; they just weren't taken. How good would it be if they dropped him for his hundred test? Like, <laughs> oh, brutal. Swepson for lion. Now the thing is that um, Jaleesa is right. Those two drop catches could well have been significant, but I also think that. He is, and I, I used to criticise him a lot, and I have acknowledged that I was too harsh on him. Um, but this whole goat thing and the talk about him being um, an absolute superstar of the game, his overall record is still, in terms of his average, it, it's it's okay, it's it's good, it's decent for an off spinner. But he averages thirty two point zero with the ball. That's a lot way below. Like you look at some of the others, like Cummins is now um, eleven better than that. There is a there is a, a slight tendency to overrate him. I mean, the stat that I love is that Steve Waugh's first-class bowling average is better than Nathan Lyon. Steve Waugh averaged 32.8 first-class cricket. Nathan Lyon averaged 34.4. But um, I think that he's a very, very decent spin bowler. But when you average 32 over your, the course of your career, you're going to have days like this where it just doesn't happen for you. And I just think that as a response to the whole, he's the best ever, I'll just say, well, his, his stats aren't quite as good as people make out. Oh, he's not the best ever. No. I mean, he's nicknamed the goat. Now, we, we, so let's look ahead to the Gabba test. India escaped with a draw. The series is now one all. India just need to draw the Gabba test and they go home with the Border Gavaskar trophy. And Australia still look at that part of the trophy cabinet and it's empty. Um, Steve Smith was the man of the match at the SCG, incidentally. Could have been a few players there. Now, the Gabba test is going to go ahead despite uh, doubts they wouldn't make it up there. There's going to be 50% capacity. But I think Australia will be forced into making some changes. Uh, Pekofsky seems to have injured his shoulder and, again, doubts about Warner. So do you two have any thoughts on what Australia could do or would do if Warner and Pekofsky were both ruled out? Yes, and I believe I voiced these thoughts previously. It starts with an S and it ends with a marsh. He's not in the squad. I've said that I know, previously I'm too, Jaleesa. I know, I'm kidding. I'm just getting mm. you all riled up. Um, I just really hope Pukowski, I hope Pukowski isn't ruled out because I, then I do think we're in a bit of trouble. question was if he is, Jaleesa. If he is ruled out, what will they do? God. So I think Har- well Harris will come into open and maybe Wade goes back to open and you bring Head back in the middle order. Yeah, that was exactly what I was about to say. You, or, or you put Labajane up to open. Oh, I don't mind that idea. And what, what do you think, Paul? I think if they're both unavailable, that's what they'd probably do. They'd probably bring in Harris and Head. Um, given the we're only limiting it to players within the squad, I'd like Enriquez to be considered. But um, I think he's he'd be a refreshing burst of aggression. I would certainly prefer him in the side than Harris. I know that he's not an opener, but I think he could jiggle the order around. But I think that if that was to be what they did, it would be those two. I wouldn't mind Enriquez coming in instead of Head and maybe just giving Head a bit of time just to work on that problem he has outside the off stump. I think there are a couple of players uh, that this Gabba test might be their last I still think there's every chance Tim Payne retires at the end of this uh, summer. And I think uh, Matty Wade, it it is a little bit of D-Day for him. He he needs a a score above 50 in this test match. Otherwise, I think when Australia next runs out in a test somewhere, uh, he might not be there. 
I don't mind putting Lama Jane up to open as someone who has put their hand up to say that they're happy to open because I think half of that is you have to have someone who is willing to take that challenge on and I wouldn't I wouldn't mind putting Lama Jane up there. It's also a bit unfair on Wade to just keep chopping and changing him and um, so yeah I don't think that's a bad yeah, idea. Well, if you don't do a good job, that's what happens. But but you know looking at this GABA test, Australia have done so well at the GABA for so long, uh, but India have matched Australia right throughout this series, apart from, you know, a couple of bad hours in Adelaide. I mean, do you two expect India to put up a big fight at the GABA? Because, I mean, they're losing players every day. They must be desperate to get home. Uh, you know, there, there could be an element that they use the rest of the tank out in the SCG and they get absolutely smashed at the GABA. They look like the more composed team at the moment, despite all of their um, injuries. I think that if anyone's going to be a bit rattled, it's Australia going into it just because of what's happened in the past day. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I expect a really big fight from India. I think it's the, the sides are relatively evenly matched, and it does come down to condition. That if Australia bats first in Brisbane, then that might be enough for them to win. Um, but India will certainly suffer the loss of Jadeja. I think that he, whenever he's in the Indian side, I like that side a lot more. Um, and whoever they're going to replace him with, they're going to, to lose out as a result. Um, I'm not all that convinced with um, Saini as a bowler. I wouldn't have picked him in this test match. I think he's, um, he's almost very similar to Umesh Yadav, who I'm also not convinced about. I think they're both decent bowlers, but I, I would have been um, maybe looking for Thakur or someone and then going for a bit more of a an option of someone who's got a bit bit of batting ability and who's a bit more uh, consistent as well. So do you think Kuldeep Yadav will come into the side minutes? I think they should try him. I think Australia are vulnerable to Yadav. They didn't pick him that well at the SCG a couple of years ago in that test match, and I think he could do the same at the Gabba. Warney used to love bowling at the Gabba with the extra bounce, and Yadav might be a bit of a handful. Vahari will presumably be out as well, so they might have to go back to Agawal or, or Prithvi Shaw. Yeah, Ravi Shastri might have to play if they keep losing players. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. Then we'll be back to discuss the big bash and a hot mic that exposed some sledging from Warney and Simons. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm with Jaleesa and Paul Dennett, and let's uh, get into all the big bash news. There's a few things happening, but I guess the, the first thing is that before a big bash game earlier last week, Shane Warne and Andrew Simons and Mark Howard were in studio in Melbourne, and I think, I can't remember which game it was. Was it at Adelaide, the Strikers v. the Stars? But anyway, they were in studio, and they were watching the test match on telly, uh, and they didn't realise that some Muppet had put them on air on KO Sports. So obviously the stream started for the Big Bash game and the camera was on them and they didn't realise. And Warren and Simons both said a few things about Labashane, basically inferring that he was annoying. Warney dropped an F-bomb. Simons, he loves talking about hog tying. I mean, he's obsessed with pig, Simon. He said something yeah. about hog tying Labashane. It was all relatively harmless stuff and actually could have been a lot worse considering they didn't realize they were on air but it wasn't a great look for Warney and Simons was it no just like the number one rule is if there's a mic there imagine that it's all going to air and it's so easy to do it's so easy to say 
you know, oh, well, if there's a mic there, you just got to be careful. But yeah, it's just like. Have you ever been caught out, Jaleesa? No, I haven't. No, it's, I've been very, um, I'm always very careful if there's a microphone around, even if it's not on, <laughs> although I'm not really going around saying anything too outrageous. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, you could tell, uh, how he was very, like he was, <laughs> he was aware of the mic. He was sort of, I don't know if he was aware that it was going broadcast, but. No, I just think he's a professional, as you say. Yeah, He knows exactly. Mike and cameras there, so he's not going to start joking about an Aussie player. Then Tim Payne and Matt Wade made a few jokes about, well, they used the jokes that Warney and Simons said to Labuschagne out in the field and they were picked up on the stump mic. Look, it was all, you know, relatively harmless stuff, but I just don't think a great look for Warn and Simons. Speaking of great looks, we've also not great looks. We had a, another big bash umpire shocker during the week. It was when the Renegades were taking on the Adelaide Strikers and, Alex Carey was batting and he, he clearly signalled that he wanted to call on the second power play. And Aaron Finch saw it as the Renegades captain and he set his field up. So he only had two fielders outside. And then sort of halfway through the over, the umpire said it wasn't a power play because they hadn't seen the sign or acknowledged the sign. But then fortunately, Carey and Finch were able to work it out and sanity prevailed and they did counted as a power play over but it was a bit of a shocker yeah it was good that they resolved it but i i don't agree that the umpiring in the big bash is as bad as everyone says i think it's just that we're so used to now the umpires having the technology to be able to use it to overturn their bad decisions that in the big bash we're back to the bad old days that existed in the you know 10 years ago where the technology was there to prove the umpires were wrong but it wasn't there to enable them to correct their decisions i just think that any umpire in, in the past would have been exposed by this because it's just impossible standing 20 metres away to determine within a millimetre whether the, a ball is hitting the stumps or not um, when you've then got forensic equipment that's going to, to judge it for you. It doesn't help that the commentators are sort of so um, quick to fire up. Now, the other night, Finch was given out LBW and reacted with quite hot fury as he ran down um, for the leg by and was given and was given out. And Warren chimed in and chimed in and said, oh, he's obviously got a massive inside edge there. And um, they're really quite hostile towards the umpire. The replay showed that he didn't get an inside edge and it was umpire's call on the bail. So it was it was actually a, a perfectly correct decision, which they then didn't walk back and sort of say, oh, you know, we're, we're sorry for the umpire there. So I think that the umpires, they certainly haven't been perfect, but um, they, they cop a, a fair degree of criticism that I think is over the top. Yeah, I have to agree with Paul. There's been a couple of absolute howlers that I have actually just found really funny and I think it adds to like some of the drama of it. Yeah, and also with the the situation that no international umpires are coming into the country, it means that the the umpiring stocks are being, they're going a bit deeper than they would Mm. and maybe umpires that wouldn't actually officiate in the Big Bash are being called up and and good luck to them. Um, But yeah, that was just a, you know, a bit of a, bit of an unfortunate incident. Just on that, the umpiring that's been done at the, the top level this summer by Rifle and uh, Blocker Wilson and others, I think has been absolutely superb. The pressure that they are under, knowing that if they make a decision, especially if, it, if it's wrong and it was wrong against India, the level of criticism they're going to copy is just um, extraordinary. I think I've been really proud as an Australian of the way that they've handled it and the way that they've umpired. They've copped some criticism and I think it's been... Um, misguided to a degree. I think that their standard has been good and their integrity has been 100%. 
also uh, in the Big Bash, they've lost a few stars. So the the Afghanistan national players have left the Big Bash. That means Rashid Khan, Muhammad Nabi and Mujib from the Heat have all headed back from the Big Bash. So that's a huge loss, um, especially Rashid Khan. The strikers will feel that one. Oh, he's been my favourite to watch. I'm so sad he's gone. And they're going to play an international one-day series against Ireland and the UAE. If there's anything that underlines that Australia does not dominate cricket, it is that. I mean, this would never happen in the IPL. They would say to them, guys, push your series back a couple of weeks. But um, that's the standard. That's where we are in terms of the pecking order at the moment. Now, some really, really sad news. I have to say, this, this news to me has been very deflating. But now all eight New South Wales home Big Bash games have now been moved out of New South Wales due to border restrictions. Uh, I'm absolutely shattered. I knew it was coming, but the reality facing me that I'm not going to see a live men's Big Bash game this summer, it's heartbreaking. And you can't imagine the finals, if it got to that point, well, they won't put those in Sydney either. So it's pretty much done. Very sad. So, yeah, they've been moved to a variety of locations. But the great thing is we're going to get all the games in. Uh, just with the results, uh, the, the Big Bash table, it, to me, is looking absolutely perfect as we record this. We've got the both both the Sydney teams at the top of the table and both Melbourne teams at the bottom of the table. So, um, yeah, it looks perfect at the moment. Um, let's hope it stays that way. Hello, Victoria. <laughs> all right. Jaleesa. Tell me about Aaron Finch on the mic. Okay, Aaron Finch on the mic. So this is, um, I have particularly enjoyed, speaking of microphones and getting people not in trouble, uh, I loved listening to Aaron Finch, just captain, and I've, I've got such a newfound respect for him because it's just, I don't know, I first of all, I didn't realise how competitive he was in the Big Bash, like how he... Uh, how competitive he he really takes it and how seriously he takes it. And I really liked hearing that. But just the way that he talks to some of his younger players, um, particularly the bowlers, and goes, righto, like, you tell me what you want. You tell me why you want it. And then he offers a little bit of advice. And I've just had such a newfound respect for him listening to the way that he has dealing with everyone in his team. Yeah, he's a great bloke, Finch. He's so popular around the traps and he's done a wonderful job leading the national side. Uh, yeah, you're right. He does well with the um, the mic on him, for sure. It's a little bit of an insight that we perhaps don't get in the higher, the higher um, level of cricket. So it's I just I've got a newfound respect for him. I'm like, yeah, you're quite a you're quite the captain, aren't you? I, I particularly one incident that comes to mind was when Mitch Perry was making his debut and he was bowling. And he said, uh, he looks, he looks so nervous. Perry looked awfully nervous. And Aaron Finch said to him, well, what do you want to do? And Perry sort of said, oh, he was a bit worried about going, being too expensive. And he said, I don't care. I don't care if you go for 20 something. I just, you tell me how you're going to get him out. And then he did get him out with that incredible um, Mackenzie Harvey's incredible catch. And I just loved, first of all, Mitch Perry was just so just shocked and just he was just gorgeous his reaction was beautiful how excited he was to have got a wicket but I just thought that was really good 
coaching from Aaron Finch on the field. Oh, nice to hear. Lovely way to end our Big Bash segment. It's coming to a head now about two-thirds of the way through the competition, so tune in. It's going to be a really fantastic finish, I feel, to the Big Bash. And let's wrap it all up with Can't Let It Go, that that little bit of cricket news that you just can't let go through to the keeper. You have to just point the willow out and play a stroke. So, Paul, what's your can't let it go for today? It's um, a few days ago now, but the death of Robin Jackman um, in South Africa. He was a well-respected member of the South African uh, broadcasting team. He'd been an English um, cricketer prior to that. And I'm just uh, nostalgic for the first ever Australian tour of South Africa after the um, apartheid ban, 1993, 94. So it was early 1994. And it was the first time I'd ever heard the broadcast from South Africa. And as a 17 year old, I was sitting up late at night alone watching the matches. It felt amazing because the notion of South Africa playing was still something I'd never experienced in my life. And Jackman was just such a lovely commentator. He just uh, made you feel at home you were sitting in a pub watching the game with him and yeah just another little instance of a bit of childhood gone with with his death and very very sad also sad that um in the end he actually died due to complications of coronavirus obviously he was obviously very sick already but he probably would still be alive if it weren't for COVID so sad to see the hear the death of Robin Jackman. Jaleesa now you've been feverishly googling the last few minutes can't let it go here we go no, I've got two, and I. Do you know what I'm going to do two because um, I've got two too. The listeners, uh, you know, it's all nice on here. Welcome back, Jaleesa. I actually got cut from the podcast um, before Christmas, so I would have liked to. My can't let it go then, but <laughs> I was waiting for, the, waiting for this to come up. You weren't actually cut; it was just the. Oh test. no, I was cut. The, the test cut finished the two days was, early, and I was Travis Head. Yeah, you weren't Travis Head. head. The test finished Travis early. Head. Paul was in lockdown. Sam was free. We just bashed it out as quick as so, we could. Yeah, Manners and I had locked in. You know, we'll do a podcast. Paul's busy, whatever. I messaged Manners, hey, Manners, when are we going to do this podcast? And he replied, we just did it. So I will I got- say that when I did ask you about the podcast, you said, I might be driving that day. So it, no, it wasn't, did. you did, you no, said, I might be driving that day. I'll be oh, able to do it somewhere. That's a lie. I'll check. Oh, I'm going back on the screenshots. I'm keeping the receipts. But anyway, regardless, I got Travis head from the, um, Travis headed from the, the podcast. <laughs> Travis headed <laughs> from the podcast. So I'm going to the, first of all, uh, the first one, I was the diamond duck the other night, Alex Ross's diamond duck in the scorches and thunder wind. I love a diamond duck and I don't know why I think it's because I've never played cricket, obviously. Yes have no ability but i think it looks like the most infuriating thing it in is the world. from past experience i can confirm i just love seeing a diamond duck it's just to me it's like the funniest but most infuriating way to get out well it would be the most infuriating way to get out so the last diamond duck i can remember i think was in 2018 i think it was matthew wade in a bbl was a bbl final can't remember Anyway, that was the last Diamond Duck I could remember of recent times. So I just thought I just wanted to bring that up because I just find Diamond Ducks. And do you know what I also found really interesting is when I tweeted about the Diamond Duck, a lot of people replied to me and didn't know what a Diamond Duck was. They thought I'd made it up. 
That'd be all your NRL fans that follow you. No, it was actually, there was a couple of Indian fans that actually like sort of said to me like, Diamond Duck, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Have you made this up? But I, uh, so I was like, oh, doesn't it, everyone not know what a Diamond Duck is? Anyway, I found it really funny. Um, the other one. So first one is you laughing at someone else's misfortune. Good. Yeah. It's right up Hilarious. Next Hilarious. one. Hilarious. Love it. That's why I watch sport. Secondly is our podcast made it to New Zealand and then made it back to Boroa. What do you mean? When I was in Boroa, I had a friend come up to me, well, this mutual guy that I know, and he said to me, are you on a cricket podcast? And I said, yes. And he said, well, my friend in New Zealand, Nick Beddington, listens oh, Nick, to Nick, yeah, I know Nick. Oh, do you? Yeah, he's, he's messaged in before. Love that. He listens to this cricket podcast and he asked me if he knew you and blah, blah, blah. So I just found it really funny that our podcast took a little bit of round the world trip and ended up in God's country in Boroa. That's my current way to go. We'll probably listen to in about 30 or 40 countries. You can see it on the back end. So it certainly goes to many parts of the world. So I'm glad. I don't remember we had someone from Japan message us. Even Bura. It even makes it to Bura. Um, yeah. All right. My can't let it goes for today. Uh, two quick ones. The, the first one is, uh, uh, sadly, Australia lost one of its great test cricketers. Colin McDonald passed away at the age of 92. Uh, he played 47 tests for Australia from 1952 and scored 3,107 runs at an average of just over 39. Uh, so fantastic servant there. And, uh, to finish on a positive note, uh, it really is seeming that cricket is slowly heading back to Pakistan. Mm. Uh, Owen Morgan's white ball side um, for England have confirmed they're going to play two T20 matches. And as well, they're going to go with the English women's side and they're going to be double headers. So, you know, that's fantastic for Pakistan to have both the English men's and women's team there for those two matches, October 14th and 15th. I hope they go ahead, but it's great for all the, the many fans of cricket in Pakistan to see um, some high level cricket at home. So yeah, great stuff there. Absolutely. And hopefully if coronavirus is conquered and Australia heads back to Pakistan at some stage for a test series in the short to medium term, um, we should go. I'd love to go to, and tour Pakistan to follow the Aussies around. Like, I'm not going to say don't want to go to Pakistan, Paul, but there's probably a few countries ahead of Pakistan on the list I want to I'll go come, to. Paul. Sounds good. I'm going to the West Indies. We'll podcast there. Oh, I'd love to go to the West Indies. Awesome. Well, I reckon Pakistan would be awesome. Yeah, I'm, Pakistan would be awesome, but I, I'm just saying I've never seen cricket in South Africa. I've never seen cricket in India. I've never seen cricket in the West Indies. I've never even been to New Zealand, let alone seen cricket there. So I need to get my ass into gear and get moving. Maybe that should be our new goal that we do the podcast when the borders open from a different country each year. That's a good idea. Sponsors, we should definitely do it from New board. Zealand next, um, next time we're there. Great. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm in for it. All right, guys. Well, that is it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Head to Twitter and Instagram at OzCricketPod. You can find all our information there. And we'll be back next week to review the final test of this absolutely riveting Border Gavaskar Test Series. Will I be back, Manners? Are you keeping me? I don't know if if it works out.
Sports Social Podcast Network.